Greetings and welcome to Stamper Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. Today, we are going to be going back to school. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going back to school. At the time of publishing, we are we're in that back to school like time frame. So close that my four-year-old daughter, I mean, she's four at the current time of posting, she's four years old. She starts pre-K on like the upcoming Wednesday. I can't believe it. it it's just gone by so, so notoriously quick. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm extremely proud of her, but it's too soon. Just too soon. But anyway, so today we're, we're just going to be taking a trip back to school. And that obviously will hold special significance because the recording that you're about to hear, although was originally recorded maybe about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, it was originally going to be part of a uh, an ensemble episode about guilty pleasures. But because I just put you through the ringer last week on about a four-hour Batman episode, I figured maybe maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to do like a half hour episode. So that's what we're going to do. And I think you're going to love it because we've got Bob Thompson on, on the show. This is his first appearance. I have a feeling he very well may become a regular because he's awesome. And the passion for the movie that, that we're about to discuss is completely incredible. You're going to love him. I love him. He's awesome. So enough of my yapping. Let's get on with the show. So, Bob, thank you. I really do appreciate the opportunity to uh, hang out with you and, and, and talk a little bit about one of your favorite guilty pleasures. Admittedly, this was this was a this was a favorite of mine when I when I was a kid. I don't know if I would necessarily call it a, a guilty uh, pleasure in the in the classical sense, because is there really anything guilty about being introduced to the Michelle Pfeiffer? I don't know. I don't know. But. I'm really excited to talk about this particular movie. So what is the film that we're going to be chatting about? We are going to be talking about Grease 2. Grease 2, the 1982 gem, musical gem, that is uh, a movie that launched a few careers, a movie that also kind of stalled a career or two uh, as we, as we uh, will get into it. But why did you want to talk about Grease 2? Well, I think it's, you know, with any of these type of movies, there's a nostalgia to it in the first place because it comes from a different time period. Or in my case, you figure I'll be 50 this year. So growing up, it became a movie that we, you know, had a copy of on VHS. So even when we when cable, we got rid of the, the HBO and all of that, we would watch it every year, multiple times a year. And then it became a for my mother became a every single year of the weekend before school started. <laughs> we would watch. Now, my brother never got into it. He's three years older than I am. My sister's three years younger than I am. And it be kind of became this building thing to where even my friends in high school, we would come over and my mother would make popcorn and this and that. And, you know, I was blessed. You know, my I was very close to my mother. I'm close to my father. My mother passed away, unfortunately, in 2009. But so this is a big memory for me that every weekend before the first day of school, we would watch, we would sit down and watch that movie. So even my, you know, cool, cool friends in high school and all that. And then Casey and her friends, we would all get together and watch this silly movie. And of course my mother would know all the words. And of course, Casey and I knew all the words and my friends knew that it was just kind of this silly thing that we did. 
but it just kind of blew up. And when, every time I see my sister, even to this day, we'll start reciting dialogue back to back and forth to each other. And nobody has any clue what we're talking about. Um, my girlfriend and her husband will just kind of roll their eyes like, really, guys, you know, this is what y'all are going to do. It's just, you know, it just it fits that wheelhouse of that perfect blend of uh, just a great, great memory. And, um, you know, it's a, you can call it a guilty pleasure, but at the same time, you know, I wear it on my sleeve. I love the stupid movie. I know it's a garbage movie. I know it made like four dollars and fifty cents and you know, <laughs> did nobody any favors at all, you know, but for me, it's something that if I was on a desert island, that's my top five movies, I've got to bring it with me. I, I just that. do. I can't let it go. And I literally listened to the soundtrack like a week ago, just because I was in the mood to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And no other reason than that, you know, I, I can't get, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I, th- I think that is one of the the most perfect answers that you could give. Now, for the listeners, obviously, you mentioned that you would have watched this movie on, you would have recorded it off of like a VHS or whatever. So you would have watched this movie 82, 83, whenever that would have been. And uh, what part of the country, what part of the country uh, was that? I was in Hampton Roads, Virginia, uh, which is essentially Virginia Beach, Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia area. Got cable in '83, um, and of course, at the time, all of the movie channels would just spit out the same movies. You know, they would repeat them over and over again. So we would just watch them over and over again. It was Grease Two and Six Pack with um, Kenny Rogers and the Pirate movie. All a ton of just not you know none of these are classic films in any way, shape, or form. But they would play you know HBO and stuff like that would play them on repeat all day long. So between that and MTV, it was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing new stuff going on. And then we recorded a copy of it um, probably after about six months. My mother got rid of the the movie channels because she was worried we were going to come downstairs and watch the dirty movies on Cinemax. That's a true story. <laughs> like she literally, for whatever reason, had an epiphany or figured that I was getting to be of that age. My brother was already there. So she's like, you know what? I don't want these in my house, so I'm taking that movie package away. So then for years, we watched it on the same old handwritten VHS tape that we recorded the thing on in the first place. And it just became and grew into this yearly thing. You know, like I said, right before school started, we would watch it every year. Back to school, right? Yeah, you got to go back back to school again. And she would sing that part and we'd eat popcorn and talk about, okay, well, what we're doing for school this year. And even when I graduated, my sister was still in high school. So we would watch it every year up until Casey graduated from high school. So Casey's the name of your sister? Yeah, Casey's with Casey with a K. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, now, you, you said a few things that uh, I just want to kind of like circle back on. Now, for the listeners, we when we discuss recording movies like off of television or whatnot, that was really the only option back in the day because it, there really weren't movies in the in the home video sense. Not until Top Gun came around and really kind of like revolutionized the idea of being able to purchase a brand new movie directly without it costing shit over a hundred dollars. Because at that time, the way the the studios ran everything. Home home releases weren't part of the norm 
So many people would take movies on HBO, record them onto like a blank VHS. And that's, that's how we watch movies over and over and over again. Now you had mentioned that, you know, obviously this is a big movie within, you know, just growing up and whatnot. I'm curious, had you seen the first Grease prior to this movie or was Grease 2 your introduction to the Grease uh, uh, universe, if you will, cinematic universe? I had never seen Grease. I was, I grew up with uh, being a fan of the 50s and 60s music because of my dad and my mom. So I was into that style of music, but to this day, I've only seen Grease like once or twice and I'm not a fan of the movie. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of musical movies in general. It's not really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had never heard it. it. Just like I said, it popped up and we watched it the first time. And it, and again, it just became one of those things to where, you know, you just start watching it because it's on multiple times a day and it snowballed from there. So it's kind of an anomaly. That's not the, you know, on right, wrong or otherwise, um, you know, again, as a, as a child of the eighties, I am a fan of a lot of the eighties movies, whether they're considered to be good or bad is in material. A lot of them are the macho Rambos and next of kin and all of that good stuff. And it's just fun. You know, a lot of those movies you can't even make anymore because they're certainly not politically correct in any way, shape or form. No, no, not at all. Nobody's remaking Porky's or revenge of the nerds. (laughs) And when you talk to young people, today and and tell them what this what a movie was about that sometimes they're just absolutely shocked by what went on in some of these movies because again you know it was a different time period but yeah we used to record we had a ton of you know vhs tapes that we would record stuff on and just they we kept them and kept them and kept them and then you know once everything came out on dvd then you know they got bought on dvd or just you know, as you well know, the VCR just, you know, disappeared and that was it. We were done. That it's really funny, Bob, because the story that you're sharing is not exclusive to you. I mean, that that's very much the same story that I would have had growing up as well. I mean, this you're you're speaking and I'm like, yeah, this this sounds like my my childhood as well. Now, I wasn't necessarily the middle of three. I was the youngest of three. Now I'm the, the middle of five. But uh, my two older sisters, they would have introduced Grease 2 to me. So I saw this long before I ever saw the original Grease. And when I saw Grease, it didn't really move me, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, no. I, and I recognize that it's a, a more superior film technically. And I realize in hindsight, nothing that happens in Grease 2 is really different than what is introduced in the first Greece, but that element of nostalgia and that connection to family, you know, I, you know, I was singing back to school as, as, as a young kid and singing, let's do it for our country. Well, before I ever really knew what the hell yeah. they were talking about, you know, as, as a kid, now you've got, you've got a couple years on me, but I mean, these were all songs that, uh, it, it's so funny because it in a second we'll probably break down the plot, but the plot is so immaterial. Part of the part of the reason why this movie is so fun is there is this irreverence that exists. There is this element where the movie doesn't at all ever take itself remotely seriously, and it's just a ridiculously fun ride. And it's all bridged like a very with a very very murky plot, mind you. 
all connected with these really kind of like tongue in cheek, albeit extremely catchy uh, musical pieces that exist in this movie. So just as you were, you were, you were sharing your story, I was just, I, I would just go back to my own childhood and, uh, and having those conversations with my sister. And then obviously being on another episode, I think I said my first, my first movie crush was either Christy Brinkley or Lisa Bonet, uh, uh, from vacation. And then obviously, uh, the Cosby show, but truth be told, Michelle Pfeiffer in Greece too, also might've been like my first, like on screen, like crush at like seven or eight years old. And I mean, I've okay. got to tell you, you know, she, she's still putting out uh, high caliber uh, entertainment, but it's just fun to go back and look at this movie. And I know that we've kind of talked about like uh, elements that this movie isn't good. And the critics would agree as it has like a 35% uh, approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The audiences won't really give it much more at 53%. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to read a review from Roger Eber, you know, fame critic that's been, that was doing it, you know, for yeah. forever. And in 1982, I just have to read this. And by the way, this review is not super kind. And he's talking about how this movie relates to Greece and elements of failures, but specifically regarding the period, he says, as for the period itself, take my word for it. Whatever Greece said about 1959 goes on for 1961 too. Things didn't start to change in high school until the Beatles broke loose in 63. Greece too doesn't even have the imagination to be different, uh, be about a different period, nor is it really about 1961 for that matter. After the late 50s, Greece or an Elvis era, the most dramatic high school eras from a visual point of view were the Beatles period, the late 60s flower period, Watergate anti-war period, and now maybe the punk period. Greece too could have been about any of them and found new satiric points to make, new costume and set possibilities and new kinds of music instead of a more ripped off early rock. Instead, this movie just recycles Greece without the stars, without the energy, without the freshness and without the Greece. Now, many of those points may be true, but what I think he gets completely wrong is the fact that this, this is, it is technically Greece too, but it's also like the anti-Greece in the sense where that was a high production level uh, musical comedy about, about what it was in the 1959. It, even though this movie only came out just like two years later, the world had kind of changed and they made kind of a farcical version of Greece, at least in my own interpretation. Now, obviously this movie takes place two years after it and much of what's going on at Rydell is still the same. You still have the T-Birds, you still have, uh, the pink ladies, they're still running the show, you know, uh, cars are important, everything, you know, is going on, but there is this just different level of, of seriousness that exists within both the production and within, uh, tonally. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, is this movie great? Probably not. But I think this movie is far better. And I think that part of the reason why this movie has become such a huge cult film, because it is. I mean, this is a this is a very, very popular like late night drive in movie that people talk about. People will have Grease 2 parties. Uh, yeah. You know, they'll 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 uh, they everybody loves the reproduction song. You know, everybody loves Let's Do It For Our Country. 
uh, we're going to score tonight. Whole lot of sexual subtext yes. in all of these songs, right? So there in a is, PG movie, no less. In a PG movie, no less. Yeah. So there are substantial elements that have helped this movie blossom over the years, just to use a little like uh, flower uh, pun right there for you. But and all of that, just circling all of that, my favorite element about this movie is we take all of that in context. And when they started shooting, they didn't even have a damn full script, which, no. you know, the, the director just kind of put it all together. And all of that just sometimes is just like this perfect chaos pie that that uh, that turned uh, this this movie that is quite silly and ridiculous in many ways into something that is also full of heart and charm in in many other ways. So this is your movie, but I I feel like I'm 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 being like a big advocate uh, yeah. for this movie. I mean, the movie basically killed the franchise because they were going to do a third one. They were there was the talk of doing a TV show, which is probably the only thing they really didn't do. Um, and it, you know, it, and it's kind of a early example of where the studio was like, OK, we're going to spend this. You know, we made so much money on this first one. We're going to cram this together and throw it out there and see see what happens. It's you know, which is let's be honest, is still happens to this day with a lot of, you know, sequels, or maybe the third one is, is terrible, whatever the case may be. And it's just, you know, there's so much money to be made. It's like, okay, we're going to rehash this one more time, you know, and the extent of what they did was they were like, okay, we need a hot guy, a hot girl. He's going to be English. We're flipping the script on that. And everybody else is very good at what they do, which really better in singing than anything else. Um, that was supposed to be the movie that was going to break Lorna Luff to everybody forgets is Judy Garland's daughter. Right. was going to break through and, you know, move her up the food chain. Absolutely nothing. She never really did much of anything. You know, Adrian Zemed did his thing. Um, Bachelor party. I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Um, McDonald. Gavin. That's what he's known for when this is every, you know, you look at his resume, Grease two never comes up right now and and like i said even even maxwell caulfield has made the statement that you know the phone was ringing off the hook he was going to be the guy he was the it guy Mm -hmm. and when the movie came out the damn phone didn't ring for close to 10 years it felt like you know michelle pfeiffer luckily had you know her other stuff already going on plus she's michelle pfeiffer right (laughs) i mean she just is but yeah it just I don't know. It's the funniest thing. I, I love, I'm fascinated when they do that because it's like, does anybody ever not ever stop those guys in that room and go, do we really want to put this out? Is there nobody in that studio that's got enough wavos to be like, guys, have you looked at this at all? This is a really bad idea. <laughs> no. And nobody ever says anything. And then it gets puts out, it gets put out. And then everybody's like, Okay, fine. Catwoman wasn't a great idea. We're sorry. But it's like nobody ever, nobody will put their neck out and be like, no, just stop. This isn't going to work. It's, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I mean, they were banking on the success because the, the first one, I think, grossed over like $100 million. Yeah. I mean, it was a financial juggernaut, right? Yeah. So this and not movie- only that, album sales were through the roof. Right. They had hit yeah. on top of hits. It was a, 
It, it was. It was a it was a global phenomenon. They made money every which way they possibly could, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's still almost the pre sequel time. They didn't really put out sequels like they do now, you know. So the fact that they were going to do that, and you're right, they could have done. They could have saved it if they had done like a 1983 or 84 version with like punk rock or something like that. Rock and roll high school. Basically. They could have done a go go sort of kind of a style with new wave, you mm-hmm. know, where they're that probably would have worked a lot better where the English kid maybe comes over and brings some English music or some early punk rock. And hey, guys, this is what I've got. And maybe they put a band together or whatever. I don't know. But they kind of went for the the same old tried and true with the big production values. And it just, you know, it was it gone quick. Right. And I mean, the movie, we say that the movie wasn't a complete and total utter failure. I mean, it did make slight profitability at the box office with like an $11 million budget. I think it grossed like 15 and then subsequently VHS sales. And, um, and then the, again, just, the, the life that is subsequently blown. So uh, not a complete failure, but I think Maxwell Caulfield might have something to say about that. I mean, you mentioned that like his career kind of was on put on like standby. I remember just to kind of uh, date me in a little bit is in the mid nineties, there was this movie called empire records. And in that film, there was this guy, this character Rex Manning, and he plays this, washed up singer but everybody's really excited about and i remember watching this movie for, for the first time and i'm like who is that guy like who is who's that guy right literally yeah. like who's that guy <laughs> and uh and then and this is like early stage of like the internet and I, I just i was racking my brain forever i'm like holy shit that is michael carrington from greece too what happened to him like where where was he because Grease 2 was 82. Empire Records was like 94. And uh, I don't know what all he did because he he was an it guy. I mean, at least cert- uh, certainly like on the stage element, this is somebody that was kind of like a hot commodity prior to this movie. And uh, and yeah, just kind of uh, so he would have something to say about this movie being some element of success. And through research, apparently like he and Michelle Pfeiffer didn't connect. But we mentioned, obviously, him and Michelle Pfeiffer and, of course, uh, Lorna Loft and Adrian Smed. Christopher McDonald was in, was in this movie. Uh, Sid Caesar reprised yeah. his role from the, the first one. And although I'm not familiar too much with our catalog, I was a fan of Miss Mason. So Connie Stevens uh, yeah. was, uh, was in it. And, of course, the original Beauty Queen, uh, Beauty Queen dropout, uh, Didi Khan. Uh, reprised her role as did the principal and Blanche. So we had a couple, couple little crossovers from that first one. But yeah, what a what a bummer, right? I mean, when these movies came out, you know, we didn't have the information that we have now. So probably a lot of those sales were open and weekend to where you really didn't know what you were getting into. You know, you didn't have 40 websites telling you all the background story and this is what this is going to be about. And the studio has been fighting over over this and that it was basically okay well here's a good pg movie i like the first one we're gonna go take the kids and go see the second one or make it a if you're a grown-up make it a date night or whatever so you really didn't know i mean a lot of those movies especially in the 80s made their money back simply because they had 
good opening weekends. Right. And then, you know, at that point it was like, okay, then everybody realized or word of mouth got around or whatever. This is terrible. So-and-so went and saw it. My friend at work saw it. They hated it, you know, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And it's hard to measure up to, there was no winning with that. Even if it had been a hit, it's not going to be as big as the original Grease. Mm -hmm. So even if it had been done, you know, top 20 for the year, it would have been like, oh, it was a disappointment. You can't top it. There's no No. way, you know? No, but uh, before we start to uh, close on out for the evening, um, obviously this is a movie that's whole, that holds a lot of endearment for you. So are there any favorite scenes or any favorite songs that you, that or favorite lines that you go back to even now, 40 years? Oh yeah. Literally 40 years now. I mean, 82 to 2022. So 40 years. So what are, yeah. what are some of those happy memories that you think of within the film itself? When I see my sister, she immediately, you know, so dump the face, keep the nose, you know, when she's talking about being on the bandstand. Um, well, you know, I want the Roy Orbisons, you know, they're talking about the albums, the hundred long playing album is remember, I want the Roy Orbisons, um, you know, still giving lube jobs at the old man service station, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Reproduction, you know, you know, I don't think they even know what a pistol is, you know, um, <laughs> That um, songs, <laughs> it's, it's, um, who's that guy? Mm-hmm. Um, the um, love will turn back the, the hands of time. I know it's a terrible song. It's a it's a it's a guilty pleasure. Remember when he, when she's singing in the break and the talent show and the girls for all seasons. Yeah. Okay. Right in the middle of that, she starts Michelle Pfeiffer stops and, you know, starts crying and then starts singing. And then he jumps in. Remember, I love you. I can't sing, but you know what I mean? No, no. Now I remember. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that stupid song. And, but again, there's nothing on, if I put that, if I play that album, I'm going from start to finish. I just, I'm going to, Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I, there's not one song. It's if I, if I'm putting it on, I'm listening to the whole thing. I just am. Um, and again, I'm the only one in my entire circle, friends, family, Facebook, whatever you want to call it. I'm the only person other than my sister that has ever admitted that they liked the movie, that it was a guilty pleasure or whatever. Nobody I know would ever admit to that. At least they haven't told me anyway. Well, my friend, you you found somebody through the internet that you're not <laughs> alone. Uh, the whole reason why we we connected is, uh, you know, I, had, I put out like, you know, just movies to talk about. And you said you'd like to talk about Greece, too. I'm like, well, that guy is definitely going to get connected to because <laughs> I do. I, 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 yes, I, again, I, I recognize what this movie is and I certainly recognize what this movie isn't, but I, I fucking love it. You know, pardon my French, but I do, you know, like I, I know what's going on. I know that this movie is like all over the map and the plot really boils down to, are they going to figure out that he's the guy? I mean, that's the whole thing, what this movie is about. You know, that's really this entire movie. Sandy's cousin comes into town and he doesn't connect. He's a nerd. And he tries to get with a girl. She's not interested because she wants a cool rider. He's like, well, I'll be a cool rider. And everybody else is like, well, who's that guy? And that's the whole plot. That's it. Yeah. That's, 
there's nothing else, you know, other than kids in the early 60s wanting to get laid and all these like sexual euphemisms that exists within the majority of the songs. I mean, that's that's it. And now you'd have to put a warning on it and it would be like, ladies, don't ride off with a stranger on a motorcycle with no helmet. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, admittedly, that is good advice, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, Bob, is there anything else that you would like to chat? I know that we, you know, we've been speaking for, you know, about a half hour or so, but. Um, I would say definitely um, my buddy, uh, Brian Thompson, who is creator and owner of Imani Films. They've worked with Maverick Pictures. Um, I've done a couple of films with him, mm. um, just minor characters. Every time he needs a kind of a silly minor character, he'll give me a call. He'll be like, hey, can you do this for me? Anything that me, me, we may have crossed paths with before? Uh, we just finished, uh, we released a couple of months ago, Thanksgiving with the Carters 2 Second Helping. Okay. Uh, which is on Tubi and YouTube, Amazon Prime, stuff like that. Brian also runs Miami Web Fest, and that'll be in the fall again this year. Um, they do, you know, it's short films, uh, TV shows, web series, things of that nature. He brings in guests to talk about how to, you know, get your, we've had, he's had several of his past winners get on Netflix and things of that nature. Um, we had, uh, speaking of podcasts, we had DJ AFN and his dream champs guys down there last year, um, which was very cool to meet them and hang out with them. He's had some writers on there talk about how to get their script sold, uh, lawyers coming on, how to trademark and, uh, and copyright your material, monetize it. So it, it's building. Again, it's a web series thing. It's it's definitely building. We have a lot of people that are there live. It's in Miami, Florida, like I said, in the fall. Um, we've had some folks that have done well from there, you know, literally getting picked up right there at the event because we have enough. He seems to always, you know, because of his own connections, have enough, you know, high-end movie folks there and TV folks that can make things happen for people. So if anybody gets a chance, go to MiamiWebFest.com, either on Facebook or on his website. Um, and like I said, Brian's done probably, I think, 10 movies at this point. Most of them have, you know, you can find online. And again, I, I do some stuff with him and I've done some of that silly investigation discovery bit parts, which is all, it's just fun to do. It's just kind of silly. I think that's great, Bob. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad I'm going to look that up right now. So I, I, I thank you. Thank you for, for, uh, for hanging out with me. And uh, I got to tell you, man, anytime you want to come back, you want to talk any other guilty pleasures. I've just had a great time just, you know, rapping with you over, over Greece too. So uh, Dude, I see I'd a lot of to come back. I, I definitely I, I've got a I got a whole box full of, of real winners we could discuss and, you know, even some stuff that's actually considered to be good by all. But definitely I would love to come back and I I appreciate it. it. It was nice to be able to, um, you know, share that memory and talk a little bit about, you know, why that movie means so much to me, right, wrong or otherwise. Don't even have to apologize for it. Again, you're not, you're not, you're not alone. Uh, in fact, it, it's as cheesy as this is just to, because you had mentioned like social media around, I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago, it's certainly post COVID landscape. I had referenced Greece to on Facebook, like even unapologetically stating that I prefer yeah, yeah. this over the original. And I had a couple of people like, give me, give me a little guff and I don't care. I'm not going to defend my position. I believe it. I love it. I stand by it. Uh, I have a, a, a strong affinity for this movie. 
Um, one final thing, or maybe two final, final, final things before we wrap up. I just want to mention that allegedly, for the listeners that don't know, that Tom Cruise auditioned actually for the role of uh, of Johnny, which inevitably went to Adrian Zemed, but the director said no because she wanted somebody a little bit older, but more importantly, somebody a little bit taller, which I think is kind of funny because Adrian Zemed isn't a big guy at all either. Uh, so I found that that fact a little bit funny. And then lastly, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer does her actual own singing in this movie. So when she's singing and like her cool writer uh, element, you know, she, so she does her own songs and everything. So I just want to get those two little factoids out there. But man, this was this was fun. This is a good this is a good time. I love chatting with you and uh, I look forward to having you back, buddy. Awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Again, a major, major thank you to Mr. Bob Thompson for coming on to the show. What did you think? How great was that? Did we did we sway you? Did we make any of you Grease 2 fans? Don't lie. You, you know the correct answer is yes. And if you're still like, eh, I don't know, then go out and watch it. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. Actually, I think it's streaming somewhere. Admittedly, I own the DVD because of course I do. But... Now I need to listen to the soundtrack. I don't have the soundtrack, but I'm uh, in about like 30 seconds. I'm going to. So I'm going to stop yapping because it's time for me to listen to that Grease 2 soundtrack. In fact, I might even have a little closing music from the Grease 2 soundtrack for you. So we'll see you next time on another episode of Stanford Cinema.